If you have your Bible, I encourage you to open it to Acts chapter 3. We're going to spend our time in Acts chapter 3 as well as chapter 4 this morning. And I would encourage you to have it out because we will read a significant part of 3 and 4. Our text for this morning is Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do come now to your word and we need to hear from you. Lord, if we hear from anyone else, we will leave here miserable. So we pray that you would come and by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us through your word. And We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our desire here at Chestnut Mountain Presbyterian Church is to exalt God as we worship him and to equip God's people in carrying out the ministry of the church and to engage God's world with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that we carry out this vision, this mission, is through our annual mission conference. This is one of the most important events in the life of our church body, and today we begin to prepare for it. It doesn't happen until March the 15th, but we want to spiritually prepare for what God is going to do over the next few weeks. So over the next few Sundays, we're going to take a break from Revelation, and we're going to turn our attention to God's desire for the nations. Now, we can see that in Revelation, but we have a theme that we want to unpack over the next few weeks. And so the best word I can find to describe what our church goes through about this time every year is the word revival. It's an awakening. It's a restoration to life. We want to be challenged about how we're doing and being the people God calls us to be in the Great Commission and making disciples of all nations. So, if you want to... See, the things of the world grow smaller and smaller and smaller, and the things of God to grow larger and larger, then these next few weeks are just for you. They are a special gift from God to you. Chester Mountain held its first annual mission conference in, can anybody guess the year, other than Pastor John? <laughs> the year I was born? Aha. Uh-huh. 1974. Some of you are doing the math. It's okay. 1974 was the first annual mission conference for Chestnut Mountain, and they had a goal to raise $5,000 to support missions around the world. God moved in a very powerful way. They raised more than $20,000 during that conference enabling them to support 11 missionary units around the world. Now, this year, almost 50 years later, I did the math for you, almost 50 years later, our faith promise goal for this year is $400,000. We want to be able to support our 52 missionary units in 25 different countries around the world. 
We want to support the ones we already support, and we want to add even more. But make no mistake, this conference is not just about money. It's not just about gold and silver. It's about God's awakening us to be ascending church that impacts the world for the sake of the name above all names, the name of Jesus Christ. So these next few weeks are about connecting with our missionaries. We want to see relationships built that are deep and meaningful with our relationships. These next few Sundays are about praying sacrificially for God's kingdom to come, for God to build his church here in this community, in North Georgia, in North America, and truly around the world. These next few weeks are about us as God's people giving sacrificially so that missionaries can be supported and sent out cross-culturally. And it's about some of us actually being called out from among us to carry God's message to the ends of the earth, to those who've not heard of Jesus, or to those who don't understand the message of the gospel. This is what we want to see happen over the next few weeks. But this is not our idea. We're not that smart. This is God's idea. And it's all over His Word. As I said, we could see it in Revelation, and we do see it in Revelation, but this morning, we're going to go to Acts 3 and 4 to see the miracle the message, and the mission. So let's look first, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask for alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. So let's look at the scene here. This is Peter and John. They're on the way up to the temple, and they meet a man that's been broken from birth. He's been crippled in some type of way for more than 40 years years, 40 years. So in his fight to survive daily, he has others carry him and leave him at the gate of the temple to beg for money. What other place would be best but to go to the gate of the temple? Now, to be disabled in the first century was to live a life of chronic struggle. You were a burden to your family. You were an outcast to society. You were as if you were called a throwaway. You didn't really matter. So you can imagine the desperation and the hopelessness that this man experienced daily. The next time you're walking in downtown Atlanta, or downtown Gainesville for that matter, and someone stops you and begs for money, I want you to remember the beautiful gate and the man broken from birth. Peter and John walk to the temple daily. This man is carried to the temple every day, probably by his family, and left there. They are at the temple for very different reasons, Peter and John, to faithfully attend evening prayers. The lame man is there to seek mercy in the form of money. But something truly beautiful takes place when Peter and John stop to engage this man. Pick it up in verse 6. 
But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So what takes place? A miracle takes place. The man knows it, and everyone who knows this man knows it. Jesus tells us in his gospel that he came so that the lame would walk. And in the name of Jesus, this man walks for the first time in over 40 years. Not only does he walk, but he leaps in praise to God. He wanted or he expected silver or gold, but instead he received strong feet and ankles. He was given stability and ability to join society, no longer to be a throwaway. Now, we don't have the time this morning to understand this miracle and what it means for us today and what we believe about miracles, but I think we can say that we often are content with the small when God's plan is much bigger. We pray for the day, but God gives abundantly in this life and eternally in the life to come. God gave this man broken from birth more than he could ask for or even imagine. But this miracle demands a message. Let's pick it up in verse 11. We're going to read from 11 to 21. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So what's taking place here? Evangelism, excuse me, evangelism not by words but by sight demands an explanation. For faith comes by hearing. The people are amazed because they have a front row seat to a life that's been radically changed by Jesus. 
When someone is crippled, they're unable to walk for over 40 years, and then suddenly is walking and leaping for joy and praising God, there must be an explanation. And so God moves Peter to proclaim the message of the gospel, the explanation. In these first few chapters of Acts, we read over and over again about how Peter stood up among the people. He raised his voice and he addressed the people. What is Peter doing? Peter is deflecting the glory. He's denying the credit and he directs the people to Jesus. Peter simply declares, we didn't do this, but God did this. We don't have that kind of authority, but God has that authority. We don't have that power. God has that power. It's not our good works. It's not our piety or our goodness. But look to our Father in heaven and His Son Jesus. It's His authority, His power, His name. And so Peter then begins to tell them who this Jesus is. The holy and righteous one. The author of life. The one who suffered and died on the cross for your sins and my sins. The one God raised from the dead and the one Moses and the prophets pointed to. So he explains who Jesus is and then he tells them who they are. He tells them that they denied Jesus and handed him over to be murdered. Their sins killed the Son of God. So he tells them who Jesus is, he tells them who they are, and then he gives them something to do. And what does he say? He says, repent and turn back to God that your sins might be forgiven and you might experience the presence of God. Friends, Acts 3 and 4 is Evangelism 101. It's Evangelism 101. It's the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It's the message of the name above all names. It's the message of the one who knew no sin, giving his life on the cross for those who know only sin, the people of the world, namely you and I. And so his death brings us life when we find our trust in him alone. The miracle demands a message, and the message demands a mission. Let's pick it up in chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, that is, Peter and John, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So after the message of the gospel goes forth, There's great opposition, and Peter and John find themselves arrested and a ticket to jail. They're detained by authorities. That's the price to pay for the church of Christ to grow. Because we also read in verse 4, those who had heard the word or the message of Jesus believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So you see, the spreading of the message is the essence of the mission. We go from 120 people in Acts chapter 1 to 3,000 souls in chapter 2 and now to 5,000 men alone, meaning there are probably even more who have been changed by the good news of Jesus. The authorities, or the Jewish high court, we read in 5 and 6 who that is. Verse 5, on the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high 
priestly family. The high priestly family, the Jewish high court, they were baffled at what was taking place. They were questioning what was going on. They didn't agree with what was happening. They're losing their power, and they bring out Peter and John to question them. They've seen the display of power in the miracle of the man broken from birth. They've heard the name of Christ in the preaching of the word, but they still question. That's why we even have a mission, because people still question. Peter answers, and here it says he's full of the Holy Spirit. This is important because Peter doesn't want to get in the way of what God's doing. He wants the name of Jesus to receive all the attention. So pick it up at verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they questioned or they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Friends, people still question today. They question all around the world as they look to false saviors. They question today as they look to materialism and secularism. They question today as they deal with anxiety and depression. They question today when they look to politics as a savior. They question today as they look to something that will numb the pain of their lives because we live in a broken world. They question as they look to, you fill in the blank. People still question today. And as God's people, we are called to give an answer for the hope that we have within. The answer to their questions is the name above all names, the name of Jesus. He's the answer. That's our mission. Not too long ago, I had an opportunity to teach at the preschool chapel. I think I've told you before, I love doing preschool chapel. And when I get a chance to do this, uh, I go through the four foundations of what it means to have a strong relationship with the Lord. So the first foundation is prayer, talking to God and asking Him for help. The second foundation is reading God's Word because it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. The third foundation is evangelism. Now remember, these are three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old preschoolers. And so this particular day, a few weeks ago, I was talking about evangelism, and I brought in this. Now, do you guys know what this is? When I asked the preschoolers what this was, one in the back raised his hand. He said, oh, isn't that where you get information when you don't have your phone? It's a newspaper. This is true. The world is changing, whether you want it to or not. But I told them, in a newspaper, you find news. Sometimes it's good news. Sometimes it's bad news. You hope for it to be good news, but sometimes it is bad news. But the best news 
that they could ever hear and the best news that they could ever tell someone is that Jesus loves you. That's the greatest news we have. And that's our mission to tell people all about his love. Now, this particular preschool chapel was a little different. And the reason why is because we normally meet here in the sanctuary for preschool chapel because it's the place where we want to come and and Nancy Burkhart wants to teach them about being in the sanctuary. But this particular day, a few weeks ago, we were down in the harvest room for chapel. And the reason was because up here in the sanctuary, there was a celebration of life. There was a funeral. And Pastor John was leading this funeral. And in this celebration of life, this was a, a man who had lived a long, good life for the Lord. Not perfect himself, but he trusted in a perfect Savior. And I think there is something really beautiful about the gospel in this picture. And here's the reason why. In this room, in the sanctuary, there was one pastor leading a celebration of life upstairs for older folks, thinking on what it means to end a life well for the Lord. To understand there is no other way to heaven but Christ alone. To understand that there's no other Savior but Jesus Christ alone. While at the same exact time, there was another pastor downstairs teaching a completely different group of folks, quite younger, teaching on what it means to live a life well for the Lord. To understand there's no other way to heaven. To understand that there's no other Savior but Jesus Christ alone. So from preschoolers to mountain climbers, there's no age requirement. As well, from America to Asia to the ends of the earth, there's no race requirement. There's no ethnicity requirement. No cultural requirement. No political requirement. No financial requirement. There are no requirements. Because there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this message of the gospel. The message that has been delivered to us that tells us there's no other Savior except for Jesus Christ alone. Father, our mission is to carry that out to the ends of the earth. Would you help us, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name.